Sacred Pause with Jessica Winderl. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the One Sacred Pause podcast. My name is Jessica, and I'm your host. And today I'm talking with a Swedish yogi who runs retreats all over the world. And I am so excited to talk with her and kind of dive into what she's up to and her business and all of that good stuff. So I'd like to welcome Josephine Bengtsson. Thank you for being here. Hello. Thank you for inviting me. Yes, yes. And your recording might sound a little strained, and that's because you, Lucky, are on the beach in India right now. Yes, under the palm trees, in the shade. <laughs> oh, as we're sitting here in the middle of a Nordic winter. That sounds <laughs> pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful. And you're down there because you're running a bunch of retreats, right? Yes, so it's kind of my home, the whole yeah, from October to April, almost. So I have my little bungalow and my hammock and everything here. And people are coming every week for retreats. Oh, that's so awesome. You basically just like designed your schedule <laughs> so that you can be out of the nastiness. Yeah, creating my little green bubble here. <laughs> oh. So nice. Yeah. And you, the business that you run all these retreats through is the Yogi Academy, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. So we have retreats here in India during the winter and then uh, in Sweden in the spring and autumn and then in uh, a castle in France in uh, the summertime. Oh. So it's nice. I'm traveling a lot. <laughs> yeah, that sounds, that sounds like a dream life. Yes. <laughs> and one of the things that is so cool is, you know, we, I've interviewed a lot of different yoga professionals and wellness professionals and it's really cool because once you are able to have the skills of teaching yoga or meditation, and, and I, I see you do Smyurveda as well, I do too, um, there's really nothing stopping us from creating our career in the form and shape that we like to. Mm. So when you created the Yogi Academy, was that sort of your vision to bring in like, okay, you love India, you love France, I'm assuming. <laughs> um, and you're, you're just kind of like, okay, how do I put this all together? Or can you walk us through that? Like, what was that process to create your business of yeah. running retreats? Um, I was actually, um, during my first Vipassana 10 days silence retreat, I got this uh, idea of, you know, creating retreats, especially to give the silence to people. So from the beginning, I was kind of, I want to like do silence retreat, but not in this super intense way where you have to sit like 10 hours a day, no yoga, no movement, almost no food. Uh, so do it like slightly lighter uh, so that more people will feel the magic of silence. So that's, it started there like six years ago with this vision of doing retreats in the nature, in silence. Um, and then I met the guys from Surf Academy and they kind of like yoga, but I don't know, not like their, their passion is, is surf, but they know travel. So we talked and then we kind of did a mix of, yeah, my silent vision and yoga and, and traveling. Uh, so it started there and then we uh, started in France like five years back with our first retreats. Uh, so we had three retreats there and they got, you know, fully booked and waiting list the first summer and it was crazy. And we had not silence the whole weeks, but we had silence like until two every day and then 40 hours of silence in the middle of the week, uh, every week. So it was, uh, yeah, it was magical. And then since it was so fully booked, we found a place in Biarritz. Uh, so we continued there and then we found India. So we just like grow slowly in a way and just like no plan actually. It was just, okay, it was fully booked and now it's winter time in Sweden. So we need to go somewhere warmer. <laughs> um, yeah. So the first winter we went to Costa Rica. It was nice, but it was a little bit too far away, I felt. And also hard to create the silent bubble because... The place we were in, in Costa Rica was, you know, Santa Teresa, and it's a super nice place, but it's a lot of people and restaurants and more social. So then we found this 
private beach in India, where it's just our retreat, actually. So it's possible to be in silence and arrive into stillness and meet ourselves. And ah, so beautiful. <laughs> so oh, my gosh. I'll tell your story in a <laughs> short, some words. Yeah. Yeah, that that sounds like my dream <laughs> to just be <laughs> in silence on the beach. And, mm. you know, that's a really big passion of mine. And that was one of the reasons I created this podcast was to have some of the conversations that I think are maybe not as prevalent in the yoga community. And that's the conversation around practices of stillness and what happens mm. when we very intentionally and purposefully slow down when we mm. create this atmosphere for ourselves, both internally and externally, where we're no longer being pulled in a million different directions. You know, just the, the average lifestyle in the modern society is just like, okay, yeah. we're going here, we're going there, and we're multitasking, and, and we're told we should be multitasking. We always have to have some yeah. stimulation, and we're always actually addicted to distraction. You know, we're very rarely standing mm. in the line at the grocery store not looking at our phone or not listening to music or not listening mm -hmm. even to a podcast. And it's so counterintuitive to the wisdom of yoga and Ayurveda that creates balance. So it's, it's, yeah, it's just very near to my heart. And so hearing you describe your retreat is just like, oh my gosh, my body <laughs> melts. <laughs> <laughs> it's so nice. Yeah. And people really loves it. Like, especially after a few days when they come here and we say like, okay, we're going to be in silence these many hours and uh, you have to like put your phone off. We don't have any like real connection here. The Wi-Fi <laughs> works a little bit now, but I mean, not every day. And during the silent hour, we just put it off. And for people, that's a big deal. No, not looking on Facebook and Instagram and emailing and all this stuff. So um, it's big to just face ourselves. Uh, you know, like so for so many days, uh, a class in the city gives you one thing and you kind of arrive inside and you relax and everything. But, you know, a week of this, a lot of yoga, a lot of meditation, a lot of silence. It's yeah, it's amazing to see people from the first day uh, to the last without layers and just with this big smile and eyes. And oh, I love it. <laughs> mm, yes. The vitality of the practice. Yeah, and see, everybody got it, even those people who've been like kind of burned out for two years. And then they go and just turn off the phone, face themselves, arrive in the body. And then one week and they are alive again. And that's so beautiful, mm. so easy in a way. And yet people don't do it enough, <laughs> I think. Oh, I agree. Absolutely. <laughs> well, because it's the reward, I think, is um, it's not necessarily an instant reward like there's not that instant gratification mm. and so I think sometimes I've talked about this before on my podcast and I experience it all the time just the nature of our humanity that we lack discipline in general and so when we're faced mm. with you know we come home from work and we had a rough day and our boss said something to us that kind of set us off and we get home and we're like oh I'm stressed and I'm tired and okay we have two choices are you going to mm. do an asana practice, release some stress from the physical body? Are you going to sit and meditate? Are you going to breathe, create an opening through the energy channels to release some of that trapped emotion? Or more easily, are you going to have something to drink? Are you going to eat something that's maybe not mm. nourishing? Are you going to veg out in front of the TV watching Netflix? <laughs> and, you know, human nature, oftentimes we go for the path of least resistance. And it's the numbing out mm. rather than the tuning in, I think, that just is easier sometimes for people. And I know for myself, so I love uh, restorative yoga. And, you know, it's very, very slow. And you're holding the poses mm. for a really long time. And when you're done with a restorative yoga practice, you feel so refreshed, so grounded, so mm. calm. And when I teach studio classes... The classes that are packed are my vinyasa, the dynamic vinyasa where there's movement and there's music and it's upbeat and it's fun. And the restorative classes are always low in enrollment. And people are like, oh, yeah. I know I should go. I need to sit and just slow down. Mm. But when push comes to shove, that's 
usually anecdotally not the one they choose. So, you know, I think it's just so cool if people can go for a week and be away from that stimuli of their normal Mm. environment in the city Mm. and they can see how good they can feel letting go of some of of that stuff. Yeah. And of course, like you need to face some kind of old emotional pain because if you're running, if you're numbing for weeks, for (laughs) I don't know, months, for years and then you come here and it's silence and you need to be in your body for hours and no phone no alcohol then it's kind of you need to be in the with those tears so being the anger or frustration or whatever it is you've been running away from so it's kind of like for a few days people need to be in that pain and i think also that the resistance to go to a restorative yoga in, in the city because you don't want to feel the pain and it's easier to just go and kind of hide in the movement because you can use yoga for, uh, I don't know, running away from yourself as well and running away from your emotions, especially if this power class with a lot of music and almost no shavasana. Then it's, I don't know, you can go to the gym um, and you can use the movement to face yourself. So it's just because you do yoga, it doesn't mean that you actually meet your emotions and meet yourselves it's um yeah i think it's interesting because mm. there's so many different types of yoga out there now and all the gym yoga and all the no shavasana yoga and and not stopping and listening and um yeah so, so it's easy to kind of fool ourselves believing that we are doing yoga so everything is fine i'm not hiding i'm meeting everything but maybe it's not the case. Maybe you also need to be silenced. Maybe you also need the restorative or stillness or meditation or I don't know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, Um, I absolutely agree with you. And I think that is a really good point that there are a lot of people who do hide in this general term of yoga and yoga is a healing modality. And so I think a lot of people when they come to yoga, even if they're not face to face with, you know, whatever emotional trauma or baggage they're bringing that they would like to process or maybe not process, there's maybe a little bit of a disconnect, even Mm. though there's still some healing happening, but maybe not as fully as it could if they were more aware or, or trying different types of yoga with more stillness. Mm. And Mm. for me, that's kind of one of my, uh, I don't, I don't know if I'd say a trick because it's not really a trick, but That's one of the main reasons that I teach a dynamic vinyasa class is to hook Mm. people in and then hopefully over a little bit of time, weave in a little bit more of the philosophy and kind of pique the curiosity into, well, what happens if you were to slow down more? What happens Mm. if you were to have a little bit of self-inquiry or contemplation in addition Mm. to the movement and kind of sneaking in that way? Because to me, it's yeah. the, the stillness is the most important part, but we have yeah. to meet our students where they are too. So it's kind of this balancing yeah, act yeah. between. And I think you need movement, like, especially if you are stressing and working at the desk and with your computer, of course you need to like move before you can relax. So if you have the Shavasana and everything, then the Vinyasa is beautiful, right? Or dancing or just, moving like crazy people need it um but not just only the movement right yes yes (laughs) so i'm curious do you have a lot of um repeat students come down because it sounds like such a lovely Mm. experience to be there and if students are having these breakthroughs and it seems like that would be something they would want to do more than once yeah, a lot of people. Actually, some people <laughs> come just five weeks this year, like in Brittany, <laughs> and then then to Biarritz, and then to Sweden, and then here. <laughs> some people, people are staying for three weeks. It's it's so beautiful, like, that I've been doing this for five years now, and meeting people that came for five years ago, and then they come back and back and back, and it makes the whole kind of group from the beginning to relax a little bit because if the new people see that okay there's 10 people here who've been at yoga academy before then of course it's easier to relax that okay it's something good we can trust them blah blah yes (laughs) even though it's crazy with shaking and silence and weird stuff but then they can okay 
some people like it. So maybe I will like it too. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is kind of, we need that reassurance sometimes. And yeah. especially if we're traveling far away and going to India and it's sort of this unknown, like, okay, well, what is this retreat going to be like? Are we going to be doing these crazy things or it's, yeah, that's how, um, a lot of people feel at the the first day of my yoga teacher trainings, there's always like these kind of nerves and students are looking around at one another, like, cause they're strangers, many of them. And they're just like, yeah, Oh my gosh. What's her? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then by the end of the first day, everybody's like, Oh my God, I'm so excited. <laughs> because they've kind of named that, named that yeah. unknown. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. So at the beginning it's just like build trust, build trust, build trust. <laughs> And then it's easy. Like now we are in the, on this retreat, we are in the fourth day and we just broke the silence and everybody is happy, smiling. Oh. <laughs> and it's just like, now it's only fun. The first two, three days, it's hard work <laughs> Yeah, for me Yeah, and for them. Yeah. yeah, but I imagine also for you facilitating that, especially at the very beginning of, of your week together, mm. the beginning of the retreat, that's probably very hard to because there's no verbal communication. So everything that you're doing as a facilitator is really nonverbal and holding that space, I imagine mm. can be pretty tricky. Do you have any yeah. tools or tips that you use to help you manage your energy? My morning practice is like super, super important. So I really like prioritize that. It doesn't need to be, Anything special, but just like give myself two hours at least in the morning to, to sit or to do movement or something, just connecting with myself on my mat, kind of. Uh, without that, I would, I don't know, <laughs> it wouldn't work at all. So it's kind of grounding myself in my own energy. And it really helps. And also being here in the nature is, uh, is such a luxury for grounding. Just, I don't know, go and hug a tree or have a swim after class or before class. Really helps me to, to always like come back to my own uh, heart or own body and own energy. It's so easy to get, you know, too much involved with the students' processes and emotions and bodies. Mm -hmm. uh, and then after a while, I can't give anything. So, yeah, my morning practice. <laughs> yeah. It's well, and I think that's something that maybe not as many people know, unless you are a teacher and you facilitate groups. And... Mm. Specifically, when you're with students for such a long time, mm. um, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure that the students on your retreat have free time, and that, that swim just yeah. sounds amazing in the ocean. Um, <laughs> but it's definitely a different way of teaching yoga when you are holding space beyond just the yeah. asana or the lessons. If you're talking about philosophy, or if you're doing a breathwork session, or um, mm. a meditation session, and it's for me, so I taught uh, public classes for years full time. And that was a big part of my job. And I was doing some teacher training stuff on the side. And now the majority of my work is yoga teacher trainings. And I teach a couple of classes a week uh, here in Oslo. And it's a very different way to hold space and a very different way to teach because your energy, you have to be really present not just for 75 minutes or 90 minutes, but mm. for 10 hours. Yeah. <laughs> and that's actually a question I get a lot from people is like, okay, well, how do you maintain your energy? Because I'm very present when I'm in my teacher trainings, like everything else just kind of falls to the side. I'm not really checking emails. I'm not doing anything. I'm mm. there because I think that's important to be yeah. there and to lead by example. If I'm training people to become yoga teachers then they need to see what I think is an example of a strong yoga teacher. Mm. And so for me, I do a lot of other things to help kind of bolster my own energy and rebuild those ojas that, you know, are, are I'm, all that external energy that's coming out for me, talking and answering questions. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think it's a really beautiful thing to talk to other yoga teachers who facilitate kind of longer time commitment types of teachings and also kind of realize that at least for me after class I can feel pretty high or energized or feeling like I want to be social in a way and it's easy to be social 
But that's the point when I actually need to just go away for a little bit, at least like do my own Shavasana or have that swim or just sit with a tree for 10 minutes or 15 minutes just to kind of come back to my own body before I go to meet the people again. Because uh, I sometimes I'm just like go to lunch with them and hang out. And it's then I realize, whoa, now I'm not like in my body anymore. And I just give and give and give. And uh, it works for a day or two, but like for weeks and retreats, it's, it doesn't work. So just like give myself that calm time after the class as well. It's um, something that gives me a lot of, um, I don't know, energy and um, grounding. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and learning how to prioritize that, because mm -hmm. I think it's very easy when you're connecting to your group. And just like you said, you, maybe you're going to go have lunch with them or dinner and you want to, yeah. like you want to be there with mm -hmm. your students and you're enjoying being with your students. Yeah. But then you also know that if you don't set some boundaries for yourself energetically, you're eventually going to run out of energy. Yeah. And then you can't be of service. In the afternoon, I'm about to teach again. Then I have like no connection or no nothing from myself. It's just like, ah, I've been speaking too much or doing too much. So exactly, that's um, that's one of the things I do a lot of too. Is uh, in the lunch times in my trainings, uh, we have an hour break, and I will oftentimes go and I make sure that every studio I run a training at, the shala is always quiet. And mm. it's just for if anybody needs to go take a shavasana or recharge mm. or be away from the group, they know that there's always a space for that. And I oftentimes will take advantage of that too, because yeah. I know that I have to be really um, observant and precise about conserving my energy. Super important. And also when I was teaching a lot before Yoga Academy in the, in the city in Stockholm and like bicycling between all these classes and meeting so many people that was super stressed and huh, and also there it was so important to after the class give myself some time to just like come back to myself and breathe and relax uh, to be able to do another class in a few hours so even for people teaching in the city it's uh, important of course to think about their own energy and not like continue on this high from from the class that you often get Absolutely. So speaking about, so moving away from like the retreats and teacher trainings and talking about like public classes for a minute, still yeah. in the vein of energy though, and energy, energy conservation and setting boundaries. Um, that's also something that we talk about in teacher training is how do we as the teacher set up energetic boundaries so we don't take on any of the energy from our students, uh, good mm -hmm. or bad. Because, you know, a lot of times when people come into the yoga practice and they are looking for that space of healing, they are bringing a lot of stuff with them. Yes. Do you have any practical tips um, or words of advice for other teachers or new teachers about how to maybe protect their own energy? Mm, it's, it's hard. But for me, maybe be there and listen and hug and everything. Uh, but afterwards, make sure that I go and do something more dynamic, like do a chakra breathing or shaking that I love, dancing or swimming so that I can, it's kind of, I feel that I breathe them out from my system. I listen to them. I feel them when I'm there, but then I make sure that the emotion doesn't stuck inside my own body in a way and notice like what is mine, what is yours, which is super complicated. Because, of course, if someone comes with high energy or low energy or crying or anger, it's easy that I just uh, put it in myself. And all of a sudden I feel super frustrated or angry or, or sad. Mm -hmm. um, and it becomes such a roller coaster with emotions that is actually not mine in a way. And it, it's hard because, of course, people should feel and I want them to express it and... Uh, uh, <laughs> but it's just like over these years, I, I learned to kind of uh, clean myself afterwards. Before the first years, I was just like keeping them inside me. And if someone was crying, I was also crying afterwards. And I was sad the whole night. And, you know, it's, it's too much. Um, and then you break down. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, because there's only one of you and there's (laughs) how many students in your class. And if you're taking little bits from all of them, it's eventually Mm. going to just be an overload. Mm. Yeah. Well, I love that advice though, just to, to move and just shake it off. Mm. Yeah. And also all, all the time, also during the class, you can feel like some people are super engaged and happy and love what you are doing or saying. And some people are not and just not care so much about the ones who loves it or the ones who hates it. Just like come back. This is my truth. I share from my heart. I share from my own body, my own experience. And that's enough because it's so easy to start to modify in order to get everybody to like you. And that's impossible. Uh, so I try to always go back to myself. Okay, what is my truth? What do I feel in my body when I do this movement? And why do I want to share it? Because I love it. It makes me blah, blah, blah. Uh, <laughs> so that's also not take it so personally, I guess. Yes. How people feel. Oh, I love that. And I'm so glad you said that because I totally agree. I think that is a really big part of being a strong yoga teacher is Mm. releasing some of that attachment and the attachment either to the people you think are liking your class and then you're like playing up to them or the people who you think are not liking your class and then you're trying to like yeah just like you said modify or change what you're teaching like okay well maybe they'll like me maybe they'll smile if I do this Mm. if I Mm. do that and when we start to feel those kind of tendencies while we're teaching the goal is to dial it back and be like nope come back to your plan, come back to this trust, this belief that you know what you're doing, that you are Mm. a good teacher, and that if somebody doesn't like your class, it's fine. That's okay. (laughs) Yeah. It's, I would, I say this all the time. I'm like, you know what, if somebody doesn't care for my class, it's, it's no business of mine. They are going to find the teacher they like and that they resonate with and, Mm. you know, see you later. We can't yeah. please everybody. And if we try to, it's just, it's a losing battle. Very true. And so it's even... Just share what's inside you. Exactly. And like you said, if you're speaking your truth and you're speaking from your heart and you are rooted in the practice and you have this belief that you have done the work, then really everything mm-hmm. else just sorts of, sort of melts away and the yoga works. At the end of the day, the yoga works by itself. Yeah. Yeah. And even if it's just like one person who who gets it, (laughs) then it's fine. Because you you share like your truth. And I'm just interested in sharing my truth. The other things, when you like realize you kind of start to adapt or whatever, it's it's not fun anymore. And it feels not real. Uh, But when I share from my heart, it's just like, I love it. And then... Some people love it too, which yeah. is good. And like feel your heart and then everything is easy in a way. Yeah. Well, it's the yeah. voice of inner wisdom. Yeah. And when you are in alignment mm. with your truth, it becomes very obvious to people around you. When you have that sparkle mm. in your eye and you have just this like magnetic passion for what you're doing. And I think that's what attracts a lot of people to mm any one of us as a teacher is if we're passionate about what we're doing, if we're passionate in the way in which we're sharing our message, then who cares if somebody doesn't connect to our specific message? Because the Mm. ones who will, will show up and get something from it. Yeah. That was a really big (laughs) lesson for me in when I created my yoga school, Atman Yoga School. Um, A real driving force behind it was feeling like I couldn't find a home for me to really share what was in my heart and to Mm -hmm. share from my experiences and the things that had worked for me in healing trauma and moving forward in connection to spirit. And I kind of have to remind myself of this sometimes. Like every few months, I, I stop myself and I'm like, okay, Jessica, what is your heart called to do here? And then I'm like, oh, yeah. I can create the Atman Yoga School to be anything I want it to. What's Mm. true to me? And Mm. it's a very powerful kind of check-in because it reminds me that I don't have to be like any other yoga school or I don't have to be like any other teacher. And when we're in our that path of true alignment, then it's like, okay, cool. The light all of a sudden like just 
lights up the path. We know where we're going. We know what we're doing. And it's just very fluid and we're in that flow. Mm. Yeah, then it's easy. It's always like go back to your heart, go back to your heart. But it, it's also when you teach too much and something happened outside, whatever, you, we lose ourselves sometimes. And I guess that's okay. <laughs> but what I do in those moments, I just stop everything. Like you said, I turn off my phone for some days. I go and meditate for hours. Uh, and always, 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 after one day or two days or three days or four days, I find my heart again. And that's, ah, oh, <laughs> I love, just love it because then it's, then it's so easy to live and it's so easy to share and it's so easy to meet other people. Uh, so as long as we are, find that connection to ourselves, I don't know, <laughs> no problems exist. <laughs> Yeah, well, I would like to be. <laughs> even I mean, that's not like there's going to be a guarantee that life is always easy and beautiful. And <laughs> no, but of course not. when we are connected to that heart space, it's, you know, it's kind of like the, the power of Ganesh, like we have that fortitude to move through challenges that come up, because we, we have that firm conviction that we are in mm. alignment with our true north. And when we have that conviction, it's not like an overnight, your problem poof is gone. It's just like, okay, you know, this is just... But you accept that in, in a way. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. rather than being stuck in the problem, it kind of creates this atmosphere that's more solution-oriented. Like, okay, today I'm having the setback and life's pretty hard and this isn't optimal. Mm. But then when we do that little check-in, it's like, ah, okay, well, what, what, is, what does my heart say? Like, what mm. is my long-term plan here? And then it can be almost, yeah, that's good. And also, like, it's okay with some pain sometimes. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be angry. And, and that's, I think, the society, at least in Sweden and Norway and up there, it's just like, take a pill and, and don't feel. It's, uh, I don't know, it's dangerous to feel your emotions. It's dangerous to be too sad. It's dangerous to be angry. And I think that's a main problem for everything, because if you numb that feelings you also numb the positive vibes and the, the love and the gratefulness and the, all of those things uh so i feel that people are so 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 afraid of their darkness and of their sadness and and pain uh even like my parents and my friends always tell them like josephine don't be in silence so much and you don't need to go so deep and you <laughs> don't cry so much, blah, 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 blah. But that's, I need to do it because if I don't, I, I can't feel my heart and I can't feel gratefulness and love. I'm just like on a plain uh, line and that's boring for me. <laughs> oh yeah. That's so beautiful. Um, I'm right there with you. I, I, this is another thing I talk about a lot is kind of the shadow work and being willing to sit mm -hmm. with the discomfort of investigating the darker sides to ourselves, And maybe some of those emotions mm. we don't want to admit we have, or we're trying to repress or run away from. Mm. And it's, we just sometimes forget that we're fully integrated beings. And what that means is we have these dual sides and it's not just mm. light all the time. And it's not just dark all the time. Like there's, there's both within mm. each other. And when we can make peace with some of our shadow, then the light just becomes illuminated so much more and it becomes easier to bring that into our life, even in the times of darkness. And so it's kind of like this, this cosmic mm. ebb and flow back and forth, like expansion and contraction between the darkness and the light and hopefully eventually moving towards mm. more light, but with this very compassionate and grateful understanding of the shadow. Yeah. And it can be beautiful to like be total with your tears and just accept that. Okay. Now I'm, I'm sad and I'm crying and I, I can feel super, super connected and in a way I can love it to just be with my tears and the same with my anger. If I accept it, if I go for it, then it's as beautiful almost as feeling the, the gratefulness or the happiness or I don't know. It's just uh, shifting focus with I'm, I want to get rid of this. I don't want to feel this instead of, okay, now there's anger. 
let's embrace it. Let's be with that superpower, crazy, wild energy and feel it in every single cell. And then it will change to something else. Um, so I think it should feel more. Right. Well, and with the feeling part of it, I think comes the observation part of it. And mm. the observation of this experience of being human is, I think, the lead up to the practice of meditation. And the more that we can uh, set in these patterns of observation, of noticing what happens around us, noticing how we feel when we eat certain foods, noticing how our emotional responses when we take certain actions. And, mm. you know, you're talking about being in the anger and being in that moment. And then it starts to shift and transmute and transform into something else. But in that mm. moment, you are honoring what that experience was. And mm. it, by definition, if we are honoring that, I mean, I don't know whose definition I'm using, but it we have to observe it. Like you can't fully yeah. be in the moment unless you are observing it. Like it goes hand yeah. in hand. And that's one of the things that I find so fascinating for myself is noticing the thoughts and the, the patterns and the behaviors that I have that I do over mm. and over and over. And then the emotional response that I have. And thinking yeah. about, okay, well, over time and hopefully with practice and dedication, some of those responses might shift and might not be quite so harsh or dramatic. Mm. And like an example that I just kind of laugh about for myself is, you know, people talk about hangry all the time. Mm. Like they get hungry or when they're hungry, they get angry and they're hangry. Yeah. <laughs> I don't necessarily get hangry, but I, I get what I call tangry tired and angry. And if I don't get enough sleep, I am not a pleasant person to be around. And I take a lot of naps. I take a lot of rest because I'm also a, a Vata dominant person. And so I know that I spend a lot of energy and I have to really be mindful mm. of how much I replenish and, and being very strict with my boundaries in that way. And mm. if I don't give myself the rest I need when I'm depleted, I'll have a breakdown, like a toddler. Like I start crying and mm. it's just, it's yeah. not pretty. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, Jess, like you have gone too mm. far, but I'm in the moment. So it's kind of like, okay, I, here I am. <laughs> and that's part mm. of this process, this messy process of spiritual inquiry that I love. Yeah. 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 I really recognize that. <laughs> so much <laughs> the sleep is important yeah, oh gosh yeah the sleep oh. is so important yeah i don't need to eat but i need my sleep yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. one thing i'm i'm curious about just kind of shifting gears a little bit is more kind of moving into the topic of entrepreneurship and running a yoga business and you know, you're running your yoga business internationally, which I imagine has some additional challenges to it, especially when you're moving between different countries and you're staying in the castle mm. in France and the beach in India. What are some mm. of the challenges that maybe were surprising to you about running your business internationally? If that is <laughs> like Swedish people, I can read easily. I understand like, how to talk and how to, when to not to talk and what to say and blah, blah, blah. But coming here <laughs> to India and making business with those people, it's, it's been hard to understand like how they function. Um, you know, the underlying, uh, what is good, what is bad. I don't know. Just, it took some years to, to understand their culture and how to like i i feel that i don't i don't like to play uh, games <laughs> i i just want to be myself all the time but i feel that i need to um i don't know feel them in and uh play a little bit there by their rules of course um and i think that's important when i like rent the place from here and um yeah 
And just just one example is that in in Sweden and maybe in general in in Europe, you you can plan things month before. You can tell like, okay, I need three beds in that bungalow. I need two beds in that bungalow. I need so many yoga mats, and we want this food this time. So the first year, <laughs> I wrote this long email with all the details to the owner here uh, a month ago before the retreat started, and then I realized, okay. This is not how it works at all here. I need to be like the same day. I need to tell them, okay, we want breakfast this time. We want lunch this time. Maybe that's enough. Maybe like a few hours before I can tell them <laughs> what I would like them with help with and stuff like that. But not like one week before. So it needs to be, yeah, this, you know, they, and they make it wonderfully if I tell them at the spot. But if I ask them to plan or, uh, tell them now like okay in one month we're gonna have uh, 25 people instead of 20 people so can we have it's yeah it doesn't make sense to them at all because they live so much in this very moment which is beautiful 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 uh, whereas we are used to you know plan a lot mm. <laughs> in Sweden and make schedules and blah 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 and worrying they are just you know they live here now and when something comes up they solve it which is we have so much to learn from it, I think. Uh, it's, I guess it's about letting go of control and just like relaxing. It will happen. That fire I need on that day, it will happen. I don't need to tell them now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> so that's so one funny. thing. And it's a lot of those small stuff that I just learned over the years. And now it feels, I don't understand it fully, but I, I understand the culture way better now. Uh, and I appreciate it a lot. <laughs> well, and that's also really good advice, too, for people who plan retreats internationally or teachers who are doing yoga mm. events internationally. Um, I don't. I just all my stuff is focused in Scandinavia. And it is funny, though, when you talk about cultural differences, because I moved my business from the U.S. to Norway, primarily. Mm. And, you know, people or just like, oh yeah, well, they're both Western cultures. And yeah, I, I had a, a fairly large culture shock running my business in Norway yeah. compared to how you run a business in the U.S. So it's not quite the same as you uh, in terms of like the exact mm. example you gave, but that's taken me a few years also to kind of adjust and be able to kind of roll with the punches a little bit more and not be so aggressively American in some cases. And I think that's really an important lesson though. Yeah, and not take it personally if, if, if the Norwegian people doesn't, I don't know, talk so much or smile all the time or oh, yeah. know, we are a little bit more drawn back in general, I think. Whereas mm -hmm. Americans are so, speak so much and are so happy. <laughs> oh yeah, it's definitely, um, it's definitely interesting. And, you know, Sweden, I've been to Stockholm, but I have not taken any yoga classes there. I'd love to go and just do a trip and go to a bunch of studios. And, yeah, you know, the, the yoga scene in Sweden seems to be much larger than the yoga scene here in Norway, even though it is growing quickly here in Norway. What, mm. what do you think about the yoga scene in Sweden? Does it seem like it's growing or what do you think? Yeah, it's been like the last five years so even less it's been really really escalating uh when i started to teach like six years back there seven years back it was yeah huge different it was still pretty a little bit weird to do yoga people didn't really know what it was and it wasn't on the gyms and all of all that stuff but now it's uh, a lot more studios and it's on all gyms and it's it's on a lot of companies, uh, and I mean, all the uh, companies are doing yoga tights and, and yoga products and blah, blah, blah. So I think uh, it's growing. Uh, I don't actually know about Norway that, at all, but I think we in, the, in Nor Norway and Sweden and Finland and Denmark have been a little bit late with this yoga hype, if you compare to... I don't know, Berlin or London or uh, the U.S. in general, I guess, or the big cities uh, all over. I think Stockholm and Oslo, at least, uh, is a little bit slow. But now it's kind of bam, boom, everybody want to become a yoga teacher. And <laughs> yeah, that's... Um, so, so it's beautiful. 
I think it's amazing. And I'm so because happy when that- when I did my training, no, I didn't know anyone else uh, in my like, you know, uh, 30 years old or whatever. I was, what was I, 24, I think. I had no friend at all who even thought about becoming a yoga teacher. It was super weird. And now almost, I don't know, half of my friends are going to teach training, <laughs> which is uh, beautiful. <laughs> well, it is because uh, even if you don't think you want to be a yoga teacher, the things that you learn in a teacher training help you with just life in general. And I wish a yoga teacher mm. training was required for every human. <laughs> yeah. It's so much more than <laughs> inhale, lift your right leg, exhale, low lunge. It's like in the scheme of things, yeah. you know, the asana is so small and it, almost insignificant yeah. compared to the other practices. In particular, the stillness, yeah. the inquiry, and the meditation. Maybe you should, like rename it. It shouldn't be called like yoga teacher training. It should be called like I don't know, life training or not not teacher because teacher you can become a teacher or not, but probably you won't be a good teacher after uh, a two hundred hour yoga course uh, if you haven't done a lot of work with yourself or a lot of yoga before. So I think you just should rename it and everybody can do it uh they don't need to become teachers just like land in your body and heart kind of training <laughs> right well and just learn how to be more aware and <laughs> learn how everything's yeah. so interconnected and the choices we make impact others and just having some tools that we're not usually taught in the western world you know the western world that the prescription's pretty clear. You go to school, you get a good job, you get married, you have kids, you pay your taxes, and then you die. <laughs> and yoga, yeah. I think, gives us another perspective. Like Mind-focused. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Very external. And you realize your body is important as well, and there is something else. Yeah, so when I started teaching in Norway in 2012, it was... I, not a lot of people that I saw were doing yoga and it was a very small community. And then over the years in Norway, now it's so much more mainstream. And I don't think it's quite to where Sweden is, but it's definitely growing quickly. And I think it's a really exciting time in Scandinavia, actually, for the yoga community and the wellness communities. Because yeah. in addition to the yoga, there's so many other things too. There's Reiki and there's breath work and there's oils mm. and there's all this other stuff that people are interested in that are kind of tangentially related yeah it's super beautiful and i hope it will take the way not like i don't know but america seems like it's been so much focus on the fancy handstands and the tights and everything and i hope it will go quicker in <laughs> up in the north uh finding the real practice like also including the meditation and the silence and the work with yourself kind of way. So it's not a become yoga class and look at yourself in the, in the mirror and blah, blah, blah. Um, so I hope it will be real quicker <laughs> for us. That's what I hope too. And, you know, as teachers, I think mm. that's, there's a little bit of responsibility there on our shoulders that, mm. you know, we talked earlier in the conversation mm. about teaching from our heart and teaching what we're called to share with the world. And when we're in alignment with that, it feels authentic. And then people connect mm. to that authenticity. And for me, that's a big part of what I teach. And a big part of what the Atman Yoga School is based on is coming back to the philosophy of the yoga and the wisdom mm. <clears throat> of Ayurveda mm. to kind of guide mm. us as we navigate our life rather than it just being about, okay, come to my handstand workshop. Josephine, I can't do a handstand. Yeah. I've been doing yoga for a long time. Mm -hmm. I've been teaching for over a decade. And it's, it's just never been something I could do because it's never been something I put a lot of time into practicing. No. <laughs> and, and that's like, yeah, you can go to circus and you're nothing. And you can play. I, I love to play with handstands, but I never share it. I do it if I want to. I don't know, be playful in, on my yoga mat. But I don't know. Most people cannot do a handstand. <laughs> and yeah. It doesn't matter. I mean, it's super fun. I love <laughs> playing around with it too. And, and I, I love doing inversions, but it's not the main focus of my practice. Um, the main focus is a little bit no. 
different. And so for me, that's a little bit of what I see my role in the yoga community, at least here in Norway. Um, you know, my trainings are around the country and I, I run several trainings a year. And so I understand that there comes a little bit of, um, you know, an understanding of how I'm helping people come to the practice of yoga. And so I have a responsibility, I think, to make sure that it's more than just the asana. So that's what I try to focus mm. on. It's like, okay, asana is amazing and it's yeah. so fun and it feels so yeah, good. Still a lot of people believe it's genetics in a way. Yeah. Do you have the people who come to your retreats, are they mostly from Sweden or are they from all over the world? No, it's only Swedish people. Like there are some Norwegian and uh, Danish people sometimes, but only actually market in, uh, in Sweden. So we are teaching in Swedish. We had some retreats in English over the years, but uh, if there was like a boyfriend from somewhere else. But otherwise, uh, only Swedish so far. Okay, so far. yeah. Uh, we'll see. Uh, yeah, it's beautiful in a way because... Uh, we are doing a lot of sharings and stuff like that. And then you can like speak in your own language and you feel safe. Uh, everyone doesn't speak super good English. But I think also this concept would work super good internationally. So I guess the next step is to open up <laughs> and mix because it's beautiful to also mix different cultures and thoughts. And yeah, um, so that's the next step. Soon, soon. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there's no rush. I mean, if what you're doing is working no. and it's, you know, feels good, then you don't necessarily yeah, have to change yeah. it. No, that's true. And that's been the case with my teaching and, and also Yoga Academy. Just day by day, step by step, I have, haven't had any real, you know, strategies or plans it's just like growing slowly it just happened and then we move there and there and add a retreat or take away so it's it's kind of nice to still i don't know be in the heart and not just grow too fast or just because we're full okay we need to have double retreats or ah this is enough and i love it, <laughs> mm -hmm. it yeah i think that's a really important lesson too like pacing yourself with yeah. the growth of your business. And also like, okay, now the li my lifestyle is super nice. If I would have 10 other retreats going on in the world with like sending other teachers, then probably I will end up with my computer only and like structurize and be, I don't know, email with all these teachers. And, and that's not what I want to do. I want to teach and because I love to teach. So it's also a lesson to learn not to get stuck in something you don't want to do. And maybe that can happen sometimes if you build a lot of studios or, I don't know, that you end up behind the scenes doing emails instead of sharing yoga from your heart. Mm, yeah. And that's sad with a good teacher if they just disappear in, yeah, up in their mind instead of sharing their work. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, that's amazing. It's, unfortunately, I mean, email is how we do a lot of business. You know, but trying yeah. to find that balance between, okay, well, how much time are you spending at the computer versus how much time are you spending in front of your students? What I feel when I do my practice, I do my teaching, things that I love, and then I sit down for one hour, maybe every day, in front of my computer or with my phone, doing what needs to be done, answering emails, doing an Instagram or whatever. And then I'm so efficient during that hour. And then after an hour, I just go for a swim or do some shaking or meditation, just, whoa, get rid of that mind stuff from my head, back to the body. Because this sitting, like people do, like for eight hours, nine hours, 10 hours with a screen, it's crazy. Of course, you can't be efficient. Uh, so I think most people could actually cut down a lot of hours online and they would have so much time to be in their bodies and play and do what they love. And then they will do the same amount of work. Uh, just less time. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. as we start to wind up our podcast together, I'm just um, wondering if you could share your favorite practices of meditation. Like, how do you like to meditate? What technique? Ah. <laughs> I have so many. But 
what I like my Vipassana meditation is my main meditation practice, which is about, you know, sitting for one hour, scanning my body for sensations up and down, up and down. Uh, that's what's grounding me. Uh, I've done it for years and it's kind of a safe place for me. Uh, but sometimes I, my body doesn't want to sit. Maybe I've been with my computer or I've been teaching a lot. Then I need to do an active meditation instead. So then I usually do some shaking or some uh, chakra breathing or some more, you know, dancing, dynamic stuff. And then maybe I sit for a bit. Uh, so my favorite seated meditation is Vipassana. But then I do a lot of active, crazy Osho meditations as well. Mm. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Do you teach that meditation? Yeah, I kind of, I'm not telling the students to sit for an hour because they can't. Most of them haven't done a lot of yoga or meditation before. But I use a lot of like body scanning, uh, cessation uh, build work. And then also a lot, a lot of Osho meditation. Like part, not... I'm not doing so much, you know, the full Osho dynamic meditation. I don't know if you've done any Osho stuff, but uh, I, I do a lot of shaking before my, in the beginning of each classes or some breathing or some more, you know, uh, shake up uh, the body and the mind and just like, ha, intensity <laughs> mm-hmm. in the beginning of the class. I always do that. And then I move into some dance or just playing with their bodies, usually with blindfolds on actually the first half an hour of the class. And then I moved to the yoga part with some salutations and some poses and stuff like that. Uh, so my classes are really a mix of, of the traditional yoga, um, but also a lot of other uh, stuff that is more, it's a moving meditation with the blindfold. It helps them to just connect with their own bodies and the music and everything like that. Oh, um, sounds so yeah. good. I want to come take your class. <laughs> Yeah, it's nice. I like that, uh, the freedom uh, in the yoga, in a way. Yeah. Oh, me too. That's on the, mat. the number one thing I love about it, mm. is the freedom. Listen to your own body. That's whew, yeah. the key. <laughs> so I have one question that I ask uh, everybody on the podcast, and it's really just kind of getting down to the heart of the matter about one sacred pause where... Every time we cultivate more stillness and more of a pause in between our thoughts, a pause between our actions, a pause between our reactions, uh, we just start to cultivate and imprint this mindset of moving slower, of thinking slower. And when that happens, then it becomes easier for us to connect to the information within and to connect to source. So the question is, in that spirit, um, if you could get still enough and quiet enough, which I'm sure you do, who or what would you be? If I got quiet enough, who would I be? Yes. Is that the question? Yes. <laughs> <sighs> it's, um, yeah, when I, when I really arrive inside and it got that, yeah, super no mind structure i just feel very connected to uh, to my essence and to something something else as well which is i'm always so resistant to even try to put words on it because it's kind of impossible um but i just feel super present and uh, content, in harmony, in love, um, and the feeling that I don't need anything else. It's just, I'm just here um, to connect it with myself and with something bigger. Yeah. <laughs> mm. That's my answer. Mm. Oh, it's <laughs> perfect. It's so nice. It's, mm-hmm. you know, I love it because everybody's answer is different. And yet, everybody's answer is still kind of the same. And mm. I think that's kind of the, the nugget or the carrot. You know, if we do mm. these practices, if we create discipline, if we create structure in our life to do the less glamorous work of sitting still and turning inward mm. and 
being available to whatever comes up, then there's actually this really amazing thing that happens. And I think the more we can talk about that, the more maybe people might want to be dipping a toe into these practices of inquiry and, and meditation. So mm. thank you for sharing yeah. that. It's mm. super cool. <laughs> and I just want to thank you so much for being here and kind of sharing what you're up to and your experiences. And um, yeah, I just really appreciate it. It was wonderful to connect. Mm. Yeah, so nice. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, <laughs> all right. Bye, Josephine. Bye-bye. <laughs>